are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org. Well, it's, it's been a good summer series for us, but this is the last day of Defining Moments, and I'm excited to share God's Word with you today. You know, I've been noticing as we've been preparing, getting you know our students back in school, that, that there's this phenomenon where people are taking pictures of their kids on their first day of any grade, and they're holding like a little chalkboard in front of them, and it says like first day of whatever grade, and sometimes their age, and all of that kind of thing, and when our girls were little, we weren't doing that. You know, I, we might have taken a few pictures, but we certainly didn't do it every year. And I've been asking myself, is it really that big of a deal? You know what I'm saying? Do we really need to have our kids stand with the chalkboard and take their picture and celebrate our first day? And then, you know, I'm seeing it, it just kind of gets carried on and on. Second grade, third grade, first day, of, you, know, fits, you know, and graduate school, you know, I've seen some of those, you know. And so I'm just saying, is, it, is, that, is, it, is that a thing? Is, that, is it that big of a deal? Do we need to do that? Well, my granddaughter, Sadie, who lives in Ohio, <laughs> went to first grade this year. She was in kindergarten last year, but this was her first day of in-person school. And yes, it is that big of a deal. I'll just have you know, okay? So you're always begging me, asking me, cards and letters every week. Show us a picture of Sadie. And so because you keep asking, uh, I brought a picture with me of Sadie on her first day of school. So that's her. And uh, because you keep asking, I will give in and show you a picture of her. But uh, I love it so much. And I love her so much. She means everything to Annette and me. Just everything. What if it was your kid's first day on the throne as the ruler of your kingdom? Do, do you think David said to his tenth son and Bathsheba to her second son, Solomon, hold the chalkboard, we're going to take a picture. And Solomon with his crown kind of tilted to the right, big grin on his face, first day as king. Wow, what a day. He would inherit the most powerful kingdom of the world. Assyria, Babylon, Egypt are weak in this moment. Israel is strong. They've experienced the golden age of King David. Talk about a defining moment. Here's how it unfolded. David calls for the priest Zadok. And Zadok goes to the sacred tent and he retrieves from the sacred tent the horn of oil. And he anoints Solomon with the oil. And after he anoints him with the oil, the trumpets sound. And after the trumpets sound, the people shout, Long live King Solomon! You want to talk about a defining moment in somebody's life? That was a defining moment in Solomon's life. You can't imagine how she must have felt when David leaned over and said to Bathsheba, Hey, Bath, I think that's what he might have called her, don't know. I'm going to make Solomon king. And that day, the trajectory of his life changed. And a course was set that he would follow from that moment on. 
It's a fascinating story because Solomon um, has moments of greatness. One of his moments of greatness was when he was at Gibeon, and God appeared to him in a dream, and God says to Solomon, Solomon, um, what would you like for me to do for you? I will give you whatever you ask of me. You name it, I'll produce it. What an offer. I can't help but just say, I think we should take a time out, and I think we should answer that question. In a day when Afghanistan is being overtaken by the Taliban, when a hurricane is rushing onto the shores of Louisiana, when Haiti is trying to recover from an earthquake, when our country is as divided as I've ever seen it divided, maybe with the exception of the Civil War, when there is so much animosity, there's so much abuse of power in the world, if God said to you, I'll give you one thing, you tell me what you want, I'll produce it, what would you ask for? And Lord, we lift all of these people to you this morning in prayer. Amen? What, what would you ask for? <laughs> it's as good as yours. Name it. And so Solomon says, the words in Scripture, I'm only a child, um, that could be literal. It could be um, an expression of humility. We don't know for sure how old Solomon was when he became king, when they poured the oil of God over him. Some say he couldn't have been less than 15 because there's lots of clues with timelines, uh, but he couldn't have been over 20. So it was somewhere between 15 and 20, and a lot of scholars just say, no, he was 20. He says, I'm, I'm young, I'm inexperienced, you've given me the opportunity to rule over your people, but I, I don't know how. Would you give me discernment? Would you give me the wisdom to govern your people? Well, God, God was pleased. He was like, you kidding me, Solomon? I'll offer you anything in the world, and you, and you ask for wisdom to govern my people? I'm impressed. Well, sure, I'll give you wisdom to govern my people, but since you didn't ask for wealth and honor, I'll give you that too. And so the Scripture tells us that no one was greater in riches and wisdom than Solomon. And, and the Scripture through 1 Kings just spells it all out. Uh, the list is there. You can read it if you want. 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses. As far as ships were concerned, he had his own fleet. More herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before him. Vast business enterprises. He amassed silver and gold. In fact, the scripture says that when Solomon was the king of Israel, that stones were as common as silver. I'm sorry, silver was common as stones in Jerusalem. In literary works, 3,000 proverbs, over 1,000 songs, scientific works. I mean, you know, you can read three of his books yourself. They're in the Bible, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. And then he says to God, you know, my daddy, <laughs> he did a lot of fighting. He had a lot of blood on his hands. He couldn't build you a temple, but God, I'm going to build you a temple. 
And he dedicates seven years of his life to the building of the temple of God as God has specified. One of the most splendid buildings in all of the world. So, if you had been given that life, and he had been given that life, he inherits the throne of his father David. He has imparted wisdom from God. He has the love of his people. If you had been given that life, what would you have done with it? Or maybe it's more wise if we just back up from that a little bit and say, when you consider all that you've been given, and at that point I tend to want to tear up, because my list is long. When I think about my heritage, when I think about my church, when I think about my Jesus, when I think about my family and I think about my friends and I think about being given the privilege and the opportunity to pastor this great church. I mean, I could go on and on and you could go on and on. So when I think about all I've been given, what am I doing with it? And what's interesting to me is that God... And I just want to make this point really clear today. It's kind of the basis of where we're going to go from here. God has chosen a path for our lives. You're going to find in a moment that God clearly said to Solomon, this is the path I want your life to take. And God's chosen a path for my life. And God's chosen a path for your life. And in His Word, He makes it really clear. It's hard to mess it up. It's hard to misunderstand it. To love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To keep His commands. To honor Him in everything that we do. And to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. And He gets really specific about what that love looks like in certain situations. If your neighbor is hungry, give your neighbor something to eat. And if your neighbor is thirsty, give your neighbor something to drink. And if your neighbor has no clothing, for heaven's sake, give them something to wear. And if your neighbor is sick, please go tend to them. And if your neighbor is in prison, you'll want to make sure that you go and visit them. I mean, God's chosen this path about loving God and loving our neighbor. I mean, he just said, this is the way I want you to walk. Solomon, it's the way I want you to walk. And all of this wealth, and according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, it's probably more wealth than God wanted Solomon to have. But it's not yours just to squander. And to be a big, fat, rich king, it's to take care of others. I've got a path for you, Solomon. God has a path for all of us to follow. And so as we dive into the Scripture this morning, it feels like a sad story to me. Because when you ask the question, did Solomon follow the path? 1 Kings 11, 1 says, King Solomon, however. In essence, no. He has this however 
in his life. He did not follow the path. He did not keep God's commands. He loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, and two old girls from El Reno. It's a joke I've used before, but I see it still works. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, now listen to this, you must not. So this is God's command, right? This is God's path. This is God's will. You must not intermarry with them. Why? Because. Because why? Because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Solomon, these women serve other gods. If you hold fast in love to them, then they're going to want you to love their God. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives. <laughs> of royal birth and 300 concubines. That is 1,000. And listen to this. Read it with me. And his wives led him astray. You ever notice God is always right? Always right. And so as he grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. I mean, do you understand that the word says he followed other gods? And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth. Are you hearing me? He followed another god. I know the name of the god, Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Listen, listen to this. On a hill east of Jerusalem, he built a high place for Kamosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon, and because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had acquired, who rather, who had appeared to him twice, and both times he gives him the same commands. You've got to keep my decrees. You've got to keep my laws. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude... Wow, just stop right there, huh? God knows what my attitude is. God knows what your attitude is. Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my commandment and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, me and your daddy, we had some conversations, and I loved him very much, Solomon. For the sake of him, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. You will not, yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him only one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which, he is cho which I have chosen. 
I, um, I've been <clears throat> on a little journey with my eating lately, and, um, and I felt like I had gone down a path with my eating where that sugar was just out of control. Love sugar, you know. And so I decided to take a sugar break. You know what? It went pretty good. Uh, wasn't as bad as I thought. In fact, uh, the less I ate, the less I, I thought about or wanted it, and, and it went great. No sugar. Uh, for quite a little period of time there, and we were going to take a little trip out of town, and I said, you know, when we got out of town, I think I'll eat a little sugar. I did. Came back home and said, <clears throat> I think I'm going to do a sugar break again. I, I think I like kind of the idea of just the, the default is not eating sugar. So are you eating sugar, Rick? No. However, <laughs> the other night we invited our, our church staff to come over to our house for a little cookout. Cooked hamburgers, hot dogs in the back, caught the grill on fire. That was interesting. Didn't burn the house down, fortunately. And, and I decided I would make some homemade ice cream for them. For them. I wanted them, them to have some homemade ice cream. And so I'm having this conversation through the day going, you're going to eat some of that ice cream. And I finally just said, yep, that's going to happen. I'm going to eat some ice cream. And, and I did. And it was, it was great. To say some ice cream would be an understatement. <laughs> and so the next night, uh, I was just so overjoyed. My Morgan said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be up that way. I'm going to stop in and say hi. So it was probably 10 o'clock at night. Morgan comes running in the house. We hug her. It's good to see her. And uh, I said, you want some ice cream? And so while I'm dipping her some, I thought, well, I might dip me a little bit of ice cream, you know. The next night, I finally decided the only way to deal with this temptation is to eat the rest of it and get it out of the house, right? <laughs> and so I just ate the rest of the ice cream, and now it's gone. It's not going to trip me up anymore. It's all gone. It's all gone. You say, Rick, are you eating sugar? No. However, last night some people invited us for dinner, and we went. It was an awesome night. They cooked in their home and all of that. And at the end of the meal, they put a piece of dessert in front of me, and I had it. You eating sugar? No. However, you see Solomon's picture. Solomon, do you love the Lord? Love the Lord. I built him a temple, for heaven's sakes. Did you hear the prayer I prayed? However, I've married these ladies. They love their gods. At first, it was just letting them burn the incense. I made some concessions. We built some high places. You know what a divided heart is, don't you? <clears throat> Do you know what it is to have a however in your life? I, I, I don't know for how many years I've, I've tried to preach about Solomon's life. And every time I go, I'm, I'm mesmerized by the word. I mean, to hear me talk, you would think, I mean, I'm in the church, 
But there's this however in my life. Here's the problem. You cannot mess with verse 2. And he messed with verse 2. And you cannot mess around with verse 2. Verse 2 says you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. And he messed with verse 2. And so here he is realizing God has chosen a path for him. But this is the problem. There will always be other paths to choose from. Always. There's always going to be another path. And so I'm going to choose the path that God has chosen for me, and I'm going to walk that path, or I'm going to get distracted by another path. You say, Rick, when do you think the next defining moment was for Solomon? I don't know for sure. I don't know his heart wasn't there, but it could have been when he decided to go to Egypt to get a queen. The daughter of Pharaoh sitting on the throne of David? The nation must have been in shock with their new young king. And with her came her gods. Can you grasp the weight of this? I'll just go back to ice cream because that's a theme this morning. I find myself standing in front of an ice cream counter going, I always like chocolate. Standard, my standby, my go-to, you know. But I like moose tracks. You know what the answer is, don't you? Two scoops. With ice cream, you can get by with it. You can love both. When it comes to money, you can't. Jesus says you cannot love both God and money. You will one day choose one over the other. You can't do it. What do you want? Well, I want God in my life. I'm not a fool. I know I can't live without God. I'm not an idiot. But I also want this. Solomon, what do you want? Well, I want God. I'm not, I'm not foolish. But you, but you got to understand, I've got these women and they've got these gods and they, they get results sometimes from these gods. I mean, it's, it's, it's a divided heart. I, I just can't choose between the two. Why can't I just have both? And God says, you can't have both, Solomon. So when I consider his story, <clears throat> and I think about a good summary statement, I think this is a pretty good summary statement that we're given in the book of 1 Kings. He did not follow the Lord completely. I think he's one of the most disappointing figures 
in the history of the Hebrew people. He inherits the most powerful kingdom of the world, the throne of his father, David. He has imparted divine wisdom from God that he has been given, but that he refused to apply to his own life. And he has the love of his people. And he does nothing with it. In fact, he leads it to ruin. You, you, you know the story, as, as I've been reading to you, but when I think about 1,000 women, are you kidding me? If he was king for 40 years, that's 25 new women a year. This outlandish polygamy, this harem, these concubines... And not only to give concessions for them to worship, but to share in their worship. You say, come on, Ricky built a temple. But while he built the temple, he also built temples to other gods, which led Israel to its ruin. You understand that in the very next chapter, chapter 12, you have most of the nation of Israel worshiping other gods, both at Bethel and at Dan, just as Solomon had set the example for them to do. And Israel will never be the same because of this man's decisions. So how did it work out for you, Solomon? Let me give you his own words in chapter 2. And these are his words. But um, they, they didn't come in this order, but they're all his words. I tried pleasure. I tried sharing myself with wine. Built houses for myself, planted a bunch of vineyards, made some gardens and parks, all kinds of fruit trees, made reservoirs. I acquired male and female slaves, owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers. I acquired a harem for heaven's sakes. How'd that work out? Here's the way he sums it up. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. And as an old man, he writes, all of it, everything was meaningless. I was chasing the wind. And you can't catch the wind. Nothing satisfied me, he said. I spent all of my life and all of my money on all of that stuff. And not any of it means anything to me. I'm empty. It's a sad story. I think today is one of those days where that we we all just kind of say, okay, I, I got to look at my life, you know. Maybe, maybe this will help us do that. I went to um, an event recently and heard a guy that I, I like. His name is Bob Goff. I don't know if you've ever heard him speak. He's such a unique personality. Um, and he brought a seamstress tape, so I went and bought one. I want to be like Bob Goff. And he says, how many years are you going to live? How, ma how many do you want to live? Just shout it out. What do you want? What are you thinking? What? 88. 
Anybody want to? I got 88. Who give me 89? You'll hear 90. 90. I got 90. Who wants to live to be 95? 100? Got a few. I'm going to stop at 100, okay? So let's just say this is 120 inches long. So let's just say 100, okay? There we go. That's the span of life. If you live to be 100, you know? Um, when I think about my life, did you know that in October I'm going to be 60? And so, I mean, that's done. It, I've done that. So it, it's not, I don't have any choices to make about that, about what path. I mean, I'm not saying choices I made doesn't matter. I'm just saying it's done. It, that happened. And so this is it. Golf said, unfortunately, a lot of us are eating Pop-Tarts. And in my case, ice cream, right? So you might as well just say, kiss that goodbye. That's not going to happen. So <laughs> at this point, you know, if I do really well, you know, that, that's what we, that's what I've got. It, it, it just, the other night I'm sitting there and it just put it in perspective for me. When I think about 20 years until I'm 80, I'm like, really? And so I'm going to have to choose a path, aren't I? What's, what's this going to look like? I've chosen a path, but the reality is that every day I'm forced to choose again. And I think that's what I'm trying to say here. We, we have to make a choice about the path that we choose. Will I Follow the path that God has called me to. Or will my story be a tragedy like Solomon? Father, we find ourselves here in this moment in your presence just waiting before you believing that you've answered a prayer that we prayed earlier, a prayer that said, Lord, speak to us. And you are faithful in my spirit. I feel like you have spoken to me. I don't want the defining moment in my life to be Solomon's defining moment. You're the only one who can satisfy us, Lord. Help us to not believe the lie of the enemy. And not to go chasing after things that will have no meaning. But let us again today choose. I will take the path that God has chosen for me. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? The altars are open this morning for you to pray. And I think, I think there might be prayers of people saying, Lord, I still choose you. And there might be prayers saying, Lord, I'm choosing you. 
There might be confession of sin, asking forgiveness. I would just say, if God's talking to you today, respond to Him. And let's, let's affirm these words that we sing together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.